where you going? No, man, you got the right classroom. Come on in, take a seat beside me, my friend. Hey, look, here come T.A. Charlie. Let's see what he got to say. Thank God it's Friday. You're watching The <coughs> Road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic. Homeroom is on Rumble. Just go to Rumble and search channels for The Road to Concord. Hey, Charlie. It's hey, Charlie. one word. Hey, Charlie, I found a picture of Natasha. No, that's not it. That is. <laughs> <laughs> she says that's her and her friends. She didn't tell us which one of those she is. But there's Natasha. We found a picture of Natasha, folks. Natasha's a furry. You have a very sick sense of humor. <laughs> I told you you'd interrupt the intros, Natasha. <sighs> well, yeah, you I have to. If I'm not quiet, people me. might fall for this crap. Or mess, sorry. I just said which, which one are you? None. <laughs> so this isn't you. I think no. she's the one on the end. No, I think she's the one next to him, the black and white one. Oh, oh that's well, right. Remember, yeah. she likes black. Well, that's that I mean, look is, at her that avatar. Is that is true. How do we know yeah. it's not you two, yes. and you're just pointing it at me to avert attention from you guys? Because I'm on the screen. <laughs> they can see uh... me. Yeah, you might be in your furry outfit. <laughs> no, that's why she doesn't turn her camera on. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm folks. doing you guys a favor by not showing my face. I <laughs> don't y'all understand that. No, she does that because she's still in her jammies. Yeah, that's are, why she is. Which are probably her puppy PJs. Yes, her, her furry PJs. <laughs> no. Oh, no. It's no, Friday, folks. Right. Shake your it head is. real hard, Natasha. Let's hear if your tags jingle. <laughs> <laughs> You'll hear a bark every once in a while. Yes. <laughs> See? My tag. What the? Do I even want to know? Your dog tags <laughs> from your furry outfit. Oh, my. Oh, gosh. Anyway. You're it, welcome, Natasha. <laughs> the, folks, there will be a price for me to pay tomorrow when oh, I see oh, Natasha. Oh, yeah, yes, yes. You're in deep trouble. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay, Charlie. Anyway, if you go to Rumble, you, you might have to set up an account. But but that's uh, fast. It's easy. It's free. If I can do it, you can do it. Uh, <laughs> Beverly says, y'all leave her alone. For, for those technologically challenged members of the class, you can also catch us on Facebook, Twitch, Twitter. I still call it Twitter. Sorry. You can call it X if you want. I'm still calling it Twitter. And sometimes on YouTube, but uh, like uh, that's not happening today. Although we might be able to make it through. Today. We could call it Twitix. But anyway, we usually just do that on Wednesdays. Uh, anyway, um, <clears throat> where am I? Oh, yeah. Th th then you can catch the podcast after the show. It it's uploaded to Podbean, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Just look for The Road to Concord. You can, you can go to the blog page at theroadtocodcord.com. That's where you'll find all your show notes, study notes, and handouts for the class. Finally, you can email a professor at joe at theroadtocodcord.com. Yeah, he's a little slow. <laughs> like uh, your. But he, he will eventually email you back. I think Marianne finally got an email. Uh, phones are on today, 229-469-0335, but only for registered numbers. We only accept calls from regular known listeners. If you wish to call in, you must be a known class member that has participated in the chats on a regular basis. You know why we do that? 
because we have dodo cops. There's a snake behind in. you, Charlie. Oh, yes, there look, is. there's a snake behind you, Charlie. There is. I know that. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> That's a snake. Charlie, <laughs> folks, we were just help. We're just working today. This is what happens in the pre-show. Y'all aren't here. We're you, working you, to make sure Charlie you, keeps a perfect score this week. Yes, not one not, intro uninterrupted. Intro this week. <laughs> So I'm filling out my week. They're just helping out. You may then request phone access through an email. And I know we got a few new classmates and, uh, you know, I think we know them. So if you're interested, pop us an email and uh, give us your number and stuff like that. And we'll put you in our uh, our known listener uh, uh, file there. If you find our classes helpful, please click the thumbs up, like, subscribe, and share it with those you think could benefit from it. That really does help us. Yeah, that's, um, you know, when we have shows like this, you know, but when we do have good stuff, you know, but warn them that that guy on the other screen there, you know, that's messing with me this morning and messing with, uh, uh, I almost missed, missed named her Natasha, <laughs> <coughs> this morning, uh, almost did that. Sorry. Oh, I almost said it again. Yeah. You're going <laughs> to dox Natasha. I'm used to it. But anyway. <laughs> Uh, this show is listener sponsored. Don't know why you do, but you know, I, I really appreciate all those that do do that. Um, because we don't solicit business advertising because it wouldn't do any good anyway. Because who would do that? Um, and that means we're also not limited in the content we can provide for y'all. Exactly. With that said, we do ask for your participation on a value for value basis. If we find if 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 you find our show of value to you, then you provide an equivalent portion of your labor and treasure through the donut link. And if you don't know what that is, you need to watch a few more shows. We showed you uh, yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> We're not even on donuts today. And uh, any, anyway, the donut Residuals. link is on the Road to Concord blog page, and we'll put that in the show description on Rumble and in the other stream and the comments in the other donuts streams. are like LSD. They can come back and bite you at any given moment. Yeah, he's having donut flash. You know, you're setting today. a record today, right? Um, what for five shows? In New a row longest missed? intro. No, this is. I did one longer the other day. Mm, I don't think so. You're you on sure? six minutes now. <laughs> oh my gosh! Thanks, thanks, Joe and Natasha for helping me beat the new world kill record myself. for longest intro. Hey, we all know T.A. Charlie isn't on there. Yeah, and I don't think anyone else on this show is either. You soon realize we not might be the smartest, but we each independently form opinions based on reason and logic. We're free thinkers. We do try to do that. Let's see what the road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic has on the lesson plan for today. All right. Well, hopefully we actually have some good content. We do actually have content today, and it's by by request of the tortoise, man. Yes, this is this is for Arctic tortoise. So if any of the smarts know, he's the one that asked for this. This shows by request. So okay, we'll get going now. I can try to get serious here for a moment. (laughs) Try. Happy Friday. See, that's the serious face. And that's all you're going to get. Doing my George Bernard Shaw thing there. <laughs> if you don't know what I'm referencing there, you missed a few classes. <laughs> Time to catch up. All right. Um, 
if you haven't already done so. The Road to Concord. Show notes for today. The Great Awakening, the Black-Robed Regiment, the 1776 Revolution, and Bible Prophecy. What do they all have to do with each other? <laughs> if you think they're not linked, <laughs> sit in your seat and stay tuned. I guarantee you I will link them for you. <laughs> but I've given you just a few little things in here today. Um, we're going to look at this webpage here in a few minutes. And then a little overview of the Black Robe Regiment, Modern Legacy. This is where they're trying to do it today, courtesy of Glenn Beck. Then Prophetic Connections. All of these links are provided just as an inter intended as a brief orientation into the subject. That is a very deep subject. A lot of uh, Christians think it's heretical or a heresy or a false teaching, but um, it's in your Bible. Then here's a very good video on uh, the Black Robe Regiment and um, sermons and preachers in America during the revolutionary periods. It's by David Barton. Do not let that man scare you off. The left hates him, so they demonize him, but he is good, and he can talk faster than I do. He knows his stuff. Inside yes. and out. Even better than it. Joe in this yes. category. Yes, in this category, yes. And then here's an actual ebook you can download or just read online about the Great Awakening and the coming of the American Revolution. And then here's the bibliography of the books we're going to cite today. So I went over that for you. There's your show notes. You can do what you want to do with that. <clears throat> so Arctic Tortoise says, please talk about the Black Robed Regiment. This is modern day literature or stuff here from the actual modern black robe regiments is bring it back. I wish we could. I wish we would. We're not gonna. And when you understand what the black robe regiment is, for those of you who do not know, um, you'll understand why it isn't going to happen. But we'll get to that. The Black robe regiment, the history of these great and godly men is one of the most stirring stories of our nation's history. Their courage and commitment to truth and liberty should inspire the hardest heart. Called the Black-Robed Regiment by the British, who feared their influence on the colonists, these patriot preachers boldly proclaimed the biblical principles of government and liberty to their churches, and when the time came, they bravely led the men of their congregations off to fight the Redcoats. That's a whole different type of preacher than we got today, ain't it? So... If you don't watch the video, you won't know this, but the video in your homework, it's only about nine minutes long. You can do it today, and you might even want to watch it after this show because I'm not sure we'll get a full two hours in today. So you might want to go pop in and watch that video as we leave. I can't play it for you right now because I'm not going to trample on the copyrights of David Barton. I like him. I want his organization to do as well as possible. So please go to YouTube and watch it where he can get paid for it because he's monetized there. <clears throat> But what he's going to tell you and show you is that um, you had a sermon for just about everything back then. If there was an earthquake, there'd be a sermon on what the Bible had to say about earthquakes. <laughs> if there was a famine or a flood, you'd get uh, quotes, I mean, uh, sermons on what's going on there in that time. They, they linked their teachings in the Bible to the daily events of the world around them. They tried to make the Bible something that the people of the colonies could live day to day and understand the world in biblical terms. The Black Robe Regiment is an offshoot or comes out of the first Great Awakening, the Great Awakening. So this is where we've got to start first. But before this, <clears throat> I've read this quote to you before, and I just assumed you understood what I was trying to explain to you, but I shouldn't have assumed because I know how to spell that word, and that's my fault. I apologize. 
apologize. But let me reread this quote. This is from John Adams. The revolution was effected before the war commenced. The revolution was in the minds and hearts of the people, a change in their religious sentiments of their duties and obligations. This radical change in principles, opinions, and sentiments, and the affections of the people was the real American Revolution. What is John Adams talking about here? Religious changes. <clears throat> Excuse me, this sinuses, folks. I'm sorry. I will be ordering my cough button here very soon, and it'll work right at my desk, and I will keep from doing this to you. I apologize. I'm trying. So John Adams is talking about the effect of the Great Awakening in the Black Robe Regiment on the American people, the colonists. And he's talking about how the Great Awakening changed the way the colonialists saw religion and government and how they responded to it. This is what he's talking about. He says, this is the actual revolution of America. And this is why I tell you it's not going to happen today. Nobody wants to change. Nobody wants to hear about religion. Nobody wants to hear. We try hard to teach the scriptures the way the scriptures uh, talk to us. And mostly all I hear anymore is, I don't want to hear that. That's hellfire, damnation, and fire and brimstone teaching. Have you read the Bible lately? There's a lot of fire and brimstone in there. Yeah, man, I just want to hear the promises of my independent salvation, my own individual salvation. So long I hear. You're not going to find that in the Bible. It's not there. Yeah, it is, Joe. That's the gospel. No, it isn't. Heretic, Joe. Have you read the words of Jesus? He tells you that's not his gospel. It, your individual salvation is a part of it. But that idea of the individuality, you know, where it's, it's my personal individual salvation, that's all that, that is a remnant, an artifact of the first great awakening. That individualism within the body, that is one of the artifacts of the Great Awakening. Wouldn't you know it? We've held on to the least valuable part of that movement, and we've missed the more valuable parts of that movement, you know, the parts that would more closely align with Scripture. <laughs> Go figure. The First Great Awakening. This is a picture of a preacher by the name of George Whitfield. And Benjamin Franklin writes about him and says that he went and experimented one time. Whitfield would draw huge crowds. And Franklin said because of his voice and the way he, he taught and everything and the way he preached, crowds of 10 to 20,000 people could hear him all at one time. You have to remember, no megaphones back then. So he's talking in a loud voice. And in order for him to keep his voice, because his sermons were not, hey, man, this wasn't a service where you got in and out in 15 to 20 minutes lesson. These could be hour-long sermons. So God, Yahweh, made him somehow which kind of way where this man had a good voice. Had to have. Franklin records it. But he was one of the principal preachers of the Great Awakening. The first Great Awakening began primarily with the preaching of George Whitfield. Whitfield preached more than 18,000 sermons in his lifetime, and perhaps the sole reason for the Great Awakening. The first Great Awakening brought a Protestant Christianity into prominence in America. Now, this is where things get important. 
the Great Awakening versus the Enlightenment. Two broad sets of ideas largely determined the worldview in the 18th century America prior to the American Revolution. While it is true that the Enlightenment more thoroughly influenced the colonial elite, the Great Awakening was more influential amongst the common people. Both found their nexus in America. What are we talking about here? People like Franklin, Thomas Paine, Thomas Jefferson, to some extent, Madison, James Madison, you know, your intellectual pointy-head elites were very much influenced by the great, the, um, the Reformation. But the average lockstep, you know, democ democracy, the average person, you know, the rubes and the hicks, they were influenced by religion. Uh, we got a phone call. Is it somebody we know? Are we on the air, Charlie? We have Aaron Spikes on the air. Hello, Aaron. What's up, brother? Oh, I'm driving along to the VA, and I was having internet issues again. <laughs> I couldn't get to the, I was like, hey, I'm going to can't connect to the internet. Come to find out my mobile data was off. Well, that's called an <laughs> FOP. Yeah, I know. All right. <laughs> I just wanted to tell everybody good morning and, and all that. And just, I'm here. All right, brother. So you're going to check in by phone rather than text because you're driving. Well, keep at it. Because, yeah, I can't come in. I can't give nobody no thunder this morning. <laughs> I already gave all the thunder. I gave all my thunder this morning on the other show. Yeah, I was trying to tune into that. I got to get something fixed on my computer so I can listen while still we're. Can't get a certain, still can't get a certain individual to quit dancing around that question I keep asking him. Yeah, well, you're getting off topic right now, bro. <laughs> well, I know that, but well, give me, well, no, I'm actually John Adams. You know, you want him, ain't you? Yes. No, well, he's right. We ain't. Well, he's right, but we're not gonna we're not gonna do what they did. No, we're not. <laughs> we're, not. We're, we're not. We're not. We're not. We'll do it. I'll say this: people will probably do it when it comes to bite them in the butt. Yeah, but that's when it's too late. And then it's too. Yeah, I see that. And then it's too late. I'm not going to get aggressive with anybody, but if anybody should get aggressive with me, I'm going to honor the threat. There you go, brother. All and right, I think well. that's my God-given right to self-preservation or self-defense. <laughs> John Quest says good morning. Yep. Good morning, John. Your other son Clay, I don't know if Clay's on there yet or not. But, all, but anyway, I'm a listener. I'm going to the VA. I got an appointment at 11 o'clock, so I'll probably have to tune out about that time. <laughs> okay, man. You take care. Yeah, man. We'll see. Yes, sir. No. Yes, Tortoise. I want my Diet Coke and donuts. I mean, come on, dude. I'm doing your show, right? Y'all probably thought I forgot where I was at. Nope. I remember this. I'm a I'm a podunk professional, not like not a professional like Rush Limbaugh was. I'm a podunk professional. Talking about the mixing of the Great Awakening and the Reformation, the Enlightenment. I mean, not Reformation, the Enlightenment. You know the the, the, the great awakening of intellectualism, you know, we don't need God anymore type of thing. The enlightenment rather that, that had a, an effect on our um, intellectual elites, ruling elites, you know, the, the more sophisticated members of our society. But now if you'll do any deep diving into the men who actually wrote the declaration of independence and who ratified it and argued over it. And then the men who wrote the final constitution, you're going to find out that there are a lot of commoners in there too, preachers, 
about half the men that were involved in writing of the Declaration of Independence were either actual preachers or had seminary degrees or worked as laymen in the church. So there's a guiding hand of providence, as our founding fathers would have put it in here. So you have just the right of mix of the Enlightenment thinking so that it would, you know, appeal to the zeitgeist, the mood and, and spirit and age of the times. But they were firmly more more firmly grounded in biblical religion. But this is not the case in France, where they had just enough religion to keep the traditions of the people happy, but they went full-fledged for the Enlightenment. And this is why the French Revolution turned into bloodshed, and the American Revolution actually succeeded. Because you put too much of one in there and not enough of the other in France. The United States, as we have gone more and more toward the French way of looking, we call that progressivism, we have followed more and more down the path that the French took, predictably so. But the Great Awakening had more of an influence over the American Revolution than the Enlightenment did. And if you want to look into that, you'll find it's true. So what caused the Great Awakening? In the late 17th century, England, fighting between religious and political groups, came to a halt with the Glorious Revolution in 1688, an event which established the Church of England as the reigning church of the country. From a political perspective, this led to stability since everyone now practiced the same religion. But instead of being a positive driving force for religious belief in general, it created complacency spiritual dryness among believers. Charlie, that's a note to us. Sometimes maybe this denominational thing is the work of the Holy Spirit to keep us from going to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Religion became something of a pastime in which people would go through the motions during the religious services without deeply felt convictions of the heart and soul. It was only after some decades of this kind of complacency in both England and American colonies that the spiritual revival of the Great Awakening came about. Here's the important part for us. The Great Awakening came about at a time when the people in the American colonies were questioning the role of the individual in religion and in society. It began at the same time as the Enlightenment, which emphasized logic and reason and stressed the power of the individual to understand the universe based on scientific laws. Similarly, individuals grew to rely more on personal approach to religion. So this is when your religion gets to be more of a one-on-one -on -one thing rather than we're all a group listening to the pastor lead everything. This gets the individualism into, you know, this was why the gospel is no longer about the kingdom of Yahweh, which Jesus said it was. Now the gospel is all about my individual salvation. See, we, we, we've got the wrong legacy there. So, eh, I'm not going to get all into the weeds on that, but we are going to take at this point, we're going to stop and we're going to look at that page I told you we're going to come to. This is on the Great Awakening. First Great Awakening. This is from American Battlefield um battlefield.org or battle yeah battlefields.org the page is the first great awakening by william r griffin the fourth i'm not going to read all of it for you um i want to go down to a specific section there's a picture of jonathan edwards he he starts the great awakening whitfield picks it up and takes over 
this is the con uh, right in here is going to be an explanation of what Franklin did and everything there. But the works of Whitfield and others who followed in their footsteps did much to usher in an era of defiance against the social and religious hierarchy in the colonies. An individual's personal relationship with God took the forefront. This in turn led to the loosening of dependence between Great Britain and her subjects on religious matters. Because the Great uh, Awakening was a national occurrence, much like the French and Indian War would be from 1754 to 1763, the colonies were able to find common ground and place aside differences between them for the collective good. For many young minds who would take the lead in the struggle for independence later, the Great Awakening was the first time they were encouraged to defy norms instituted on them by the crown and those in power. Religion and self-determination could coexist. That belief was amplified as the eve of the American Revolution dawned and the children of the Great Awakening then fought for self-determination of the country. This, folks, is what we're talking about with church and state being separated. And then this goes on talking about the beginning of the war and um, when they dug up uh, Whitfield, um, well, they didn't dig him up. They went to his tomb in the basement of the church. They opened the coffin and they cut pieces of his collar and his cuffs off of his clothing and they took it with him into battle when they kicked the British out of uh, Canada. And that's how revered he was by the colonists at that time. Um, they thought that by bringing that piece of him into the battle that, you know, it would help spiritually protect and enshroud them. The point here is that the Great Awakening changed the religious sentiments of the colonists, just like John Adams told us. It moved us from a collectivist society where the priest was responsible for everything and all we had to do was show up and sit in the pew, made it mostly just some sort of checkbox we had to click off so that um, you know we were thought a proper member of society and made it an individualistic thing, your individual relationship with God, with Yahweh. Now, as it happens, that's actually part of the new covenant. And we're going to come back to this in a little bit, but this is all prophecy coming to fulfillment. The problem we have with our modern day and age, we think the prophecy has to happen in the blink of an instant. It's just one instance that happens now. Prophetic occurrences can take decades and generations to occur. Or they can happen in the blink of an instant, you know, the instant nation born overnight. You, you've got to be prepared to look at both ways. So what we're seeing is prophecy being fulfilled. Now, I've got this little piece here for you. This is another page that's on there. This is from the modern Black Robe Regiment. This is, this is today's Black Robe Regiment. And they remind us of something in here that happened during the revolution. It was Sunday morning, early in the year 1776. In the church where Pastor Muhlenberg preached, it was a regular service for his congregation, but a quite different affair for Muhlenberg himself. Muhlenberg's text for the day was Ecclesiastes 3, where it explains to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted. Coming to the end of his sermon, Peter Muhlenberger turned to his congregation and said, in the language of the Holy Writ, there was a time for all things, a time to preach and a time to pray, 
But those times have passed away. And those assembled looked on. Pastor Mullenberger declared, this is a time to fight. And that time is now coming. Mullenberger then proceeded to remove his robes, revealing his black robes, to the shock of his congregation, a military uniform. He was a captain in the Revolutionary Army. Marching to the back of the church, he declared, who among you is with me? On that day, 300 men from his church stood up and joined Peter Muhlenberger. They eventually became the 8th Virginia Brigade fighting for liberty. Frederick Muhlenberger, Peter's brother, was against Peter's level of involvement in the war. Peter responded to the Frederick's writing, I am a clergyman, it is true, but I am a member of the society as well as the poorest layman, and my liberty is as clear to me as any man. Shall I then sit still and enjoy myself at home when the best blood of the covenant is spilling? Notice what he said there, the best blood of the covenant. They understood covenants back then. We no longer do. Why? Our preachers don't teach it. Our teachers don't teach it. So Peter says, so far am I from thinking that I act wrong. I am convinced it is my duty to do so, and duly I owe to God and my country. Resistance to tyrants is obedience to God. You know, Jefferson, this is his speech right there. He says, I'm a clergyman. This is him. This is a painting of Molenberger up in his pulpit, taking off his black robe and putting on the uniform of a captain in the Revolutionary Army. He says, I'm a clergyman, and it's true, but I'm also a patriot. My liberty is as dear to me as to any man. Shall I hide behind my robe, sitting still at home, while others spill their blood to protect my freedom? Heaven forbid it. I am called by my country to its defense. The cause is just and noble. I am convinced it is my duty to obey that call, a duty I owe to God and to my country. The Bible tells us there is a time for all things, and there is a time to preach and a time to pray, but the time for me to preach has passed away, and there is a time to fight, and that time has come now. Now is the time to fight. Call for recruits. Sound the drums. Reverend Peter Mullenberger. He was an ordained minister. That's his another painting of his picture on that sermon. This is a little book by David Barton, The Role of Pastors and Christians in Civil Government. Ta-da, ta-da, right here in my little hand. Just a couple dollars on uh, on Amazon. It's linked in your homeworks. You go to theroadtoconcord.com, look up today's homework, and you'll find a link to this book. But it tells you all sorts of cool little things in here about the sermons that the pastors preached, and it tells you about how they actually participated in government, just not as leaders. And he's got a quote in here from somebody that I'm not going to read. <laughs> Mr. Barton and I need to have a talk someday. I'll show the camera. I don't know if you're going to be able to see it, but there's a little picture right there. And we would have to break out our hashtag to read this quote. So we're not going to do that. Although it's an accurate quote. But he goes over some of the sermons that are in here. Sermons about freeing the Negroes. This was an older one too, man. This goes back a while before the revolution. Um, quote on earthquakes, um, sermon, I mean, a ser sermon on earthquakes, a sermon on fires, because uh, they had a big fire in one of the cities. Um, there's a, they called them discourses too, not sermons. There's one on here uh, on a solar eclipse. Um, there's one on here on infirmities and comfort and old age. There's even one called the sermon on the um, artillery. And every year they would give a sermon to the soldiers. And um, 
voice of warning to Christians um, on elections. This, this, this motivated the American people. This was all throughout the colonies. And it told them how to live their civil lives according to biblical principles and teachings. Now, do you really think this country wants to go back to that? Do you? Because if you, if you think that, you're going to have to convince me where the evidence is. I know that the remnant is coming out. But I keep telling people, they ask me all the time, Joe, what do we do? I tell you, repent. Seek his face again. Follow the scriptures. That's the pattern and the example given to us by the founding fathers. No, you don't want that. Jeremiah tried to warn the people. They didn't listen. Hosea tried to warn the people. They didn't listen. Isaiah tried to warn the people. They didn't listen. Ezekiel tried to warn the people. They didn't listen. But Jonah warned the people and they did listen. No, he warned Nineveh. Well, I know. Israel didn't they were listen to Jonah. People, but Yeah, they were people. but And they did listen and they were spared for yes, a time. They were. And that's why Jonah had to be swallowed by the great fish because he was running away from that. He didn't want to go warn his enemies. Right. So, folks, I, I, I don't, you know, a lot of us have seen the movie Maverick, you know, Top Gun Maverick. And they say, I don't like that face, Mav. It's the only one I got. I say, well, Joe, I don't like your answer. Sorry, it's the only one I got. It's because it's the only one that'll work. And I know that we're not going to do this. So I'm not being a pessimist when I tell you, you're not going to save this nation. I'm just looking at the patterns of history that go all the way back to biblical times. And I'm saying, we're just going to repeat the same mistakes we did before because we're stiff-necked people. Without God re rejuvenating us and reworking us, we're screwed because we're dumb and arrogant, self-willed. This is a page on the history of the Black Robe Regiment. It's Black Robe Regiment. It's from National Archives, but you're going to like this one if you're interested in this subject because it's an official page on the history of the Black Robe Regiment. Here's a poll from it. There is not a right asserted in the Declaration of Independence which had not been discussed by the New England clergy before 1763. So everything that Jefferson's writing has been preached from the pulpit before 1763. So this page continues. It is strange to today's generation to think that the rights listed in the Declaration of Independence were nothing more than a listing of sermon topics that had been preached from the pulpit in the two decades leading up to the American Revolution. But such was the case. And we have the record. And if you go back, and you watch that video from David Barton, he's going to hold up a lot of the original sermons because he owns them. And I mean original sermons, the ones that were preached from, because a lot of these were published. This article continues, he says, but it was not just the British who saw the American pulpits as largely responsible for American independence and government. Our own leaders agreed. For example, John Adams rejoiced that the, quote, the pulpits have thundered. And it's cited a specifically identified women and specifically identified several ministers as being among the characters that most conspicuous, the most ardent and influential in the awakening and revival of the American principles and feelings that led to the American independence. That was also Adams. 
here from the same webpage is a list of downloadable sermons from the revolutionary time. There's election sermons, military sermons. There's sermons on everything on this website. So you can go back there and you can find that. Now, something you need to understand, the British at one point put a price on the head of some of these preachers. They preached these sermons publicly on Sundays from their pulpits, knowing that somebody in the audience might kill or arrest them. They did it anyway. Show me that type of zeal for God and God's word in our world today. Not in this country. I can find it in other countries where the people know that their teaching could get them killed and they do it anyway. In this country, we're like, oh, that's not going to happen to us. You'll want to bet it's already started in the heavily blue controlled areas of this country. The persecution of Jews and Christians has already started. And Christian, you can be anti-Semite all you want. You can be anti-Jewish all you want. I have a little news flash for you. Jews are not Semitic. What? Uh, well, they come from Shem, yes. But their bloodlines contain millions of non-Jewish people that have blended into Israel. The Exodus? Almost as many people left with the Hebrews as from Egypt as the Hebrews, and they blended into Israel. Israel absorbed several Gentile nations, especially Judah, that dwelled to the south of them. If you read their history, they absorbed those people. They married into the Canaanites. They married into the Philistines. They married into the Babylonians. Israel is not a race. Never was meant to be. So, okay, so if they married into the Philistines... And the Philistines are supposedly the progenitors of the Palestinians, then they should own Gaza. Yes. Okay. Just just making sure. I told you that whole thing is a political argument for Islam. So, folks, <laughs> you, you shouldn't think anti-Semite. You should think anti-Zion. So is that logical extension? Yes. Okay. Just checking. And anti-Zion, that's got a bad phrase too. So let's put it in biblical terms. If you're anti-Jew, anti-Semite, you're anti-Zion, you're actually anti-Kingdom of Yahweh. Which makes you anti-Christ. Bingo. So you better check yourself because you're wrecking yourself. That's in the scriptures, folks. And a lot of our preachers from the revolution knew this. Even Franklin called this country New Israel. He didn't mean a replacement theology. He was talking about the prophecies of Ephraim. Well, I thought that Franklin wasn't all into that religion thing. Eh, he might be a more complicated character than people give him credit for. So this is the video I told you about. It's the Black Robe Regiment wall builders. It's about nine minutes and Nine and a half minutes long. Highly recommended. You'll have a chance to watch it today because I don't think this show is going to go but an hour today. I would definitely watch this when you are done. It's not going to take long. So where are we going to go next? We've talked about the Great Awakening. We know the Black Robe Regiment picked up from the, Black, uh, from the Great Awakening and started pushing the Bible's, over, uh, the Bible's governing hand on our earthly politics. 
So Adam says the general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. I will avow that then I then believed and now believe that those general principles of Christianity are as essential and immutable as the existence and attributes of God. You remember what we were reading? I read one little section from that article on the Great Awakening. What it did was unite the colonists on the general principles of the Christian faith. They quit fighting about denominations. They learned that denominations could coexist and live together, that the government should not be the one who dictates to the church which religion you're going to, you know, which denomination of Christianity you're going to keep. They learned to push back against tyrannical control over the individual conscience. The New Testament is individualistically based. You're going to find, I think it's in Jeremiah, the prophet says that there's going to come a time where a man can scarcely save himself, let alone any member of his family. It's talking about the, it's going to talk about a, a time when scripture is so reviled that very few people are going to answer to its call. But it's also talking about you'll no longer be able to save your whole family just because the head of the household converted. The Bible talks about that many times. You know, it's in the book of Acts. That one Roman that sends for Peter and he comes and the Roman converts and the whole household converts over too. So we're told the whole house is saved. And that's not going to be anymore. Under the new covenant, it's going to become more and more individualistic. So in this case, the great awakening was a fulfillment of prophecy. It was a purging. They were grabbing the, the baton from the Protestant movement, the Reformation, and pushing it forward, advancing it forward, getting back to the original scriptures the way we're supposed to be living it. We allowed that to change. And we started allowing more and more of the enlightenment to creep into our world. Well, that led to something else that we'll get to here in a few moments. But now, if you'll go to the road to Concord, you know this, the, the background of the whole web page. There's a picture in the background. Eh, I'm going to show you where that picture comes from. This is a painting of a prayer that was said before the constitutional was it a constitutional convention or was it the, the writing of the declaration of independence i think this is before the constitutional convention it was a two hour long prayer two or three hours long after which john adams wrote back home to his wife abigail saying there's no way that this can fail not with such pious men leading it so much for the enlightenment having the ruling control over the founding of america it didn't the Great Awakening had the primary ruling control. I'm pretty sure this here has got to be the Declaration of Independence. But it could be the Constitution. I don't remember which one it is. I should have looked that up. It doesn't matter to me. Because this, the essence here is the men who led the founding of this country were that devout that they got on their knees and prayed for two to three hours before they started their work. And it so moved Adams that he was emotional when he wrote to his wife about it. It convinced him that their endeavor was going to succeed. And this has been in the background of the road to Concord ever since, because I haven't subconsciously, I guess, or somebody else was guiding my hand. I knew that battle of Lexington green Concord and Lexington green, you know, the road to Concord. It's, it's not so much about material spiritual political liberation it's about you know it's not it's not so much about this world the road to concord 
was about this world here in the picture. How do we know? Well, you know, Adams' son told us. The highest glory of the American Revolution was this. It connected in one indissoluble bond the principles of civil government with the principles of Christianity. And you know, his cousin, or in this case, John, John Quincy Adams' uncle, I would think, or, or second cousin, whichever, Samuel Adams, I don't remember, but they're all related. Samuel Adams said that the Declaration started the rule of Protestant theocracy. So if you're going to tell me that religion had nothing to do with the founding of the United States of America, it was all about the Enlightenment and deists, you're going to have to dig these men up, resurrect them, get them back living again, bring them up to speed, and then ask them what the heck they thought they were doing talking about God in the Bible. Didn't y'all know that you were creating a secular government? Now, when you tell them that, you better be standing behind some armor because those are going to be fighting words to these men, and they're liable to try and shoot you. They dueled over lesser things. So be careful when you bring them up and try to tell them that. might cost you your life. The second great awakening. Ah, this one's important. This happens in the early 1800s. It is a result of too much Jefferson in the world. The Second Great Awakening began with the Protestant social events in New England. People had begun to show less favor in Christianity at the time. After this event, the Second Great Awakening, there was much more emphasis placed on religion than education and philosophy. This reversed the slide toward the Enlightenment. Why is that important? Because had it not been for the Second Great Awakening, we would have never fought the Civil War. What? Yes. The Civil War is, is more of another fulfillment of prophecy. It's, it, and it's, it had to be fought, and Jefferson knew it had to be fought. He wrote about that. When he's, you know, the quote in the Jefferson Monument, I tremble for my country that God is just and you know, his vengeance won't long slumber. It's words to that effect. He's talking about the slavery, the issue of slavery. And he knew that they should have settled it in his time, but they didn't. So as they start straying towards you know, secular government like the Europeans were doing, the Holy Spirit moves on this land and the, great second, the second Great Awakening starts and says, ah, get back to your biblical principles. And that's what leads eventually to the, the final turn against slavery. As the first Great Awakening, there was a, you know, several decades bef between when it pretty much kind of ended and started petering off until the revolution. You had the Second Great Awakening, and then there's a decade or two as it moves into the civil government, and then you have the Civil War that ends slavery. They're related. They are spiritually related. Now, you're going to have a Third Great Awakening, and people like to claim that that links us to the, to the progressive movement. I reject that. I, re I don't think we've ever had. I, I, I don't like it, but that's me personally. So, you know, if you're a theologian into all that stuff, you can, you can argue that on your own. I don't really give a rip. All I know is that coming out of the Second Great Awakening, we had things like this from Charles Finney. If Satan rules in our halls of legislation, the pulpit is responsible for it. If our politics become so corrupt that the very foundations of our government are ready to fall away, the pulpit 
is responsible for it. Comes out of the second great awakening. The people were starting to stray. Freemasonry had crept into the country, the European type Freemasonry. The second great awakening chased it back out of this country again. It returns after the civil war. Thank you, Abraham Lincoln. He was used of God, may have even made it into the kingdom when he died. I don't know. His last year or so was very different in his life from the rest of his life. But he's all of this, when you look at it from a biblical perspective, all of this overlays history just fine, just perfectly. But the point here was, the reason that this country is in the situation it's in right now is our pastors are more worried about their 501c3 protections than they are preaching the word of Yahweh. And because the people sitting in the pews want to hear good music and be entertained and tickling messages about how they're all going to heaven, we're going to be playing with harps and singing and eating lollipops in the clouds when we're dead. I don't want you to teach me about works. Works, that's, you know, I got I don't have to do any obedience. That's works. Joe, get rid of that works-based relationship. This, the second great awakening, taught that you have to obey. That's one of the principal characters of the Second Great Awakening. You have to obey this, the scriptures. It was getting back to the original first century church. Grace, yes, the ability to come into the kingdom is given to you free. You can't earn it. That is a free gift. But if you're going to be in the kingdom, you've got to follow the rules of the king. Second Great Awakening. We don't want to hear that today. We don't want none of this today. Our preachers have taken all the bad echoes of the first and second great awakening, and they've kept them alive. They've let all the good stuff die, and the people have gone cold as a result. So I agree with Mr. Finney. We're here now because of our pastors, our preachers, our teachers. This is an article from Wall Builders. You'll find this link in your in your show notes too. It's about the. Uh, the power of the pulpit in a free self-governing Christian nation. But um, most of us won't bother to read this. And then this is the official page of the Black Robe Regiment today. Because there are pastors trying to do this. There are preachers trying to do this. But the movement seems to have grown cold, as I suspected it would. Not because I was wanting it to fail. Just because I know the nature of the people that are in our country nowadays. Now, what's all of this got to do with prophecy? Ephraim has mixed himself amongst the people. Ephraim is a cake not turned. Hosea 7, 8. We've done this show several times now on the prophecies about Ephraim. You can find it in our, in our archives, our records. It's there. Just go search through our old shows. The United States is in prophecy, just not the way you're looking for it. Where's the United States? It doesn't say America anywhere in here. No, it talks about Ephraim. It talks about God's people, Yahweh's people. I care less about your nation. I want to know about Yahweh's people. House of Jacob. All 13 tribes. When you start looking that way, you're going to find them. You're going to find us. And unfortunately, you're going to find the results. Where we're heading. Our destiny. Now, what is a cake unturned? Well... In the olden times, you'd cook your cake bread. It's a loaf of bread, cake of bread. Turn it on one side, cook it on top of your oven, and then you flip it later on, kind of like a pancake. Now, if you don't turn the cake, it burns up. Yes, 
Yeah, so Ephraim's just burned up and doesn't exist anymore. Eh, at that time, yes. But the rest of the prophecies, Yahweh says, I can't forgive, you know, forget Ephraim. Ephraim's my firstborn. How can I forsake him forever? I got to bring him back and save him. Got to rescue him. Which cake unturned is a Hebrew idiom, meaning it's not fully cooked. It's not done. So you can look at this both ways. It means that Ephraim in the here and now, when Hosea read it, wrote it, yeah, you're going to be burned up. You're going to be thrown into the nations. But Yahweh's going to turn you over. Your story's not done. You're not finished yet. So you have both in that imagery. As you move forward in time, you're going to run into something like this. Ephraim was rejoined in England to Judah, the scepter and the birthright. The emblem of the house of Judah, the scepter tribe, was the lion. Notice he's wearing the crown in this picture. The emblem of the leader of Israel, the northern tribe, is Ephraim. He has the birthright, represented by a unicorn. That's a bad translation from the King James Bible. Should be bull. Should have been a bull rather than a unicorn. But we can trace it. We understand it. It's one of the ways that this got hidden until later times. But you have in the bottom right-hand picture, the throne overturned three times. That's in Ezekiel, but it's also Jeremiah's mission. And Jeremiah is the one who brought the princesses back to Ireland and then to Scotland and then to England, overturned three times. The bottom left, you have David's harp. The royal coat of arms of Britain reveals the lion of the tribe of Judah is wearing the crown and the land of Ephraim, Joseph, symbolized by the unicorn. This is Ezekiel 37. The two have been reunited. Aaron Spikes says, now, Joe, you know we ain't going to follow all them rules. Jesus done done that first so we can do whatever we want and we can go forgiven for all of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't get sidetracked, Aaron. So a lot of people will argue today that um, England is Manessa. The United States is Ephraim. Uh, be careful with that. This is the reuniting of Ephraim and, and Judah. This is all of Israel. What happens to the United Kingdom? Charlie, I'm going to need you to pop on your microphone. You need to help the people remember something. The kingdoms united under Solomon, correct? Yes, they did. It was one of the greatest kingdoms, perhaps the greatest kingdom yeah. ever. And then when Solomon dies, his son does something stupid that cost him the northern kingdom, doesn't he? Yeah. What's he do? He had to do with taxes. Raise the taxes, didn't he? Yep. He, he, he raised them big time. And he lost the northern kingdom. He did. Which means that the United States is Joseph, not Ephraim. It's, it's the northern kingdom. It's right, Israel. Right, right, yes. Okay. Thanks, Charlie. Now, if you want to trace the heraldry of this, the south, the southern states, you're going to find that's Ephraim. Tried to leave Manessa. And Manessa, Menashe, however you want to pronounce it, forced him back into union. I have no doubt that was the hand of Yahweh keeping Joseph together, the seat of Israel, the northern tribes. But that Confederate battle flag that everybody hates because it's a symbol of slavery, it's the symbol of the Tav, <laughs> the cross with the 13 yes, tribes. Yeah. And it's red in the background. That's the thread around the breach. You don't understand the spiritual character and nature of these people because you don't study that. 
Now, that's all fulfillment of prophecy, folks. And whether we want to argue Ephraim or Manasseh, Manasseh, I don't care. I gave you three links in your homework that'll help you get through that. It's just orientations. It'll start you down that road if this is new to you. But one way, shape, form, or another, those two nations right there, that's modern-day Israel. Now, the nation of Israel was remade. Judah left. This is why England has been rapidly falling away from the faith. The Jews, the remnant of Judah, left the nation of England. So what is left there are the Christians who are grafted in through Israel. So the believers still left in the nation of England, United, United Nations, you know, England, Scotland, Ireland. That's just a remnant. It's an echo, and it's why the faith is falling away. The faith is falling away in the United States now very rapidly. The stage is being set for Ephraim to return to the Holy Lands, trembling from the West. Well, if this was the first migration of the Jews, the house of Judah, back to the Holy Lands, they'd come from the islands afar off or from the north. That's how the prophets would have known Britain. But when they say from the west, they're talking about through the Straits of Gibraltar. Well, if you go straight west from Jerusalem through the Straits of Gibraltar and draw a line, guess where you're going to hit? D.C. or in that area. Ephraim, house of Joseph, the remnant of the house of Israel, the northern kingdom, great Satan. So all of this is prophetic in nature. And if you really want to know more about it, you want to read these two books, starting with the Judah's scepter and Joseph's birthright. But he never references it. But Ellis Schofield on the left, we did that 15-part slideshow based on this book. Ellis Schofield finds America in the prophecies as well and never once references J.H. Allen. Schofield is writing this book in 1989 and 90. Joseph Allen was writing his book right around the turn of the 20th century, right around early late 1800s, early 1900s. Schofield may not have ever known about this book. It was before the time of the internet. He may not have ever known about it. And yet he still found the exact same understanding of prophecy. Many paths to one truth, folks. The Black Robe Regiment was part of all of this. It was the impetus, the push. It blended the biblical teachings of our religion into the duties of civil, civil life, civil government. It made the individual as important to society as the king. It leveled us. It said the king put his pants on one leg at a time, just like the lowest pauper. Remember what the Muhlenberger said? He says, I'm no, I'm no better than the lowest layman, the poorest layman. It put us into biblical terms. It set the stage for what would become the American character until <laughs> the progressive movement. Because the pro progressive movement is just a return to what tried to take over this country in the early 1800s. The Second Great Awakening stopped it. We have not had anything like that since. Secular humanism is in control. Ephraim is thumping himself on the chest again, talking about his great military might and, and economy, his wealth that he made. 
forgetting that it was all from the hand of Yahweh and his blessings of providence. Prophetic in nature. But so is this tendency to look back and rely on himself. And as a result, Ephraim is destroyed. As we will be again. We live in a nation under judgment. If you bother reading your Bible. The founding fathers would have told you this. They understood it. They knew it. They would not be happy with us today. We'll come back in six minutes. Where we go from here, I don't know. If you've got questions, stick them up on the board. you got six minutes to do it. Email them, whatever. If we don't have much of a discussion when we come back, it'll be a short class, and you can go watch your video from David Barton. Whether or not we keep going is up to y'all. Questions on the board. See you in six.
All right, y'all are kind of quiet today. There wasn't a whole lot of questions or anything, but there was very there was one very important comment out of Tallahassee. Donuts! Marianne has promised donuts. I don't know how she's going to deliver them, but I am waiting, Marianne. Waiting. I want my donuts. Remember, I like the white glazed with sprinkles from uh, Dunkin' Donuts. I also like the lemon-filled powdered ones, too. Those are pretty good, too. You know, lemon cutting them. Make you pucker your mouth up. Anyhow, donuts. We're going to have donuts sometime soon. <laughs> Marianne says, oh, okay. <laughs> Just call the Uber driver. We'll give you the address. You tell them where to drop off the donuts. <laughs> All right, guys. We got anything out there? Uh, nobody wants to talk about anything? Because... Otherwise, I just got to ramble my mouth for a while. And I get in trouble when I ramble. Although, I was told yesterday that people like it when I ramble. I don't know why. Y'all are crazy when I do that. Because, you know, it's like letting Stevie Wonder drive. Although, have you ever looked into that? Apparently, Stevie can see. What? There are people who swear to God they've been in the car while Stevie Wonder was driving. There are people who say he actually, you know, when he goes up to announce awards that he'll look down and read the paper. Folks, blind people don't do that. If you've been born from blind from life, you don't even, you don't know to look. It's, it's, it's weird. Um, there are videos of him too, of like where he's walking off a stage with his cane and everything. And he looks down because he's tripping and you see him look for a minute and he moves from something that he sees. And it's, so I don't know. I'm, I'm not staying. I'm not trying to say that it's a, uh, it's an actor and it's fake and then he's lying and pretending. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's weird. Well, uh, sometimes there's a little more to it. Yeah. They can see, you know, shadows yes, and things like yeah. that. Or it, it could just be that. I don't know. Maybe Stevie's developed a sixth sense. I, I, I have no idea. I can't tell you. All I know is that there seems to be something to that. Um, Cause I've followed that one now for years. And this is a persistent thing from people who know him saying that they believe he's blind, but every now and then he does things that make them think he can actually see. So even the people who know him aren't questioning that he's blind. It's just, they're, I guess maybe it's how blind is he? He might be wearing, the, Charlie might be right. He might wear those dark glasses um, partially to hide the fact that his eyes, you know, look in different directions, keep from freaking you and I out. But it might also be because he does see just a little bit of light and all and in shadows and he puts the glasses on to block it out so that it doesn't distract him and, and confuse him so i don't know um yeah clay toll our daredevil senses possibly i don't know i'm like i said i'm not saying he's not don't 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 get me wrong i'm just saying there's something weird there something different odd more to it um in in me being who i am i've been tracking that for years um I first, I think I first heard about it from um, Eddie Murphy because Eddie knows Stevie Wonder. So, and, and Eddie, I don't know if you've tracked his life, seems to be a believer. And he's not, he cleaned his life up with the way he acts and talks, at least publicly, at least, after getting chastised by uh, Bill Cosby back before Bill got himself in trouble. So Bill yelled at him with all his dirty language. He says, you don't have to talk like that. To, to be funny so and after that eddie became more of a family-friendly comedian that's when he really got popular um so i don't know it's just like everybody will smith 
yeah, well, I don't know him as Will Smith. I know him as the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. You know, parents just don't understand. <laughs> y'all, a lot of y'all didn't know Will was a rapper. That's that's where he started, and that's why it was the French Fresh Prince of Bel Air because that was his rap stage name. <laughs> yes, Beverly, I don't mind. Y'all take care, guys. Let's wrap this up. If we don't have anything else going on, this is gonna be a short day. Go watch that video by David Barton. Otherwise, it's time to go. We covered the Black Robe Regiment and the Great Awakening and its role in the founding of America. It is important. It is something that we should look into and know about. It, it When you know about that aspect of it, it kind of puts a stake in this idea that everybody was a deist. It, it just it nukes it. So if you ever wonder, that's where you go. For those of you who've been watching today, if you like what we're doing, please give us a thumbs up or a, a, a rumble or whatever. Just that That's talking to Charlie and Natasha and I letting us know that we're doing okay in your eyes. If you like the show, please share it directly with whoever you think might benefit from it. Friends, family, whoever. It, it does. Hey, we love it when you share it on Facebook and all. That's cool. But we're being throttled by the social media. You have to share the link directly. And then tell people, hey, you know, the, the the idiot who's running his mouth most of the time, you know, Natasha and Charlie are cool, but that Joe dude. So you fill in the blanks from there, warn them about me otherwise. Oh, and if, if you are of a mind and you want to keep us here for a while, <laughs> we're going to need a few more of you to go to the donut page, you know, the donate page, sign up for a $5 a month reoccurring donation. We'll take more if you want to give it to us, but we need a little help keeping the lights on around here still folks. Well, there's, there's already so much left in the savings account for that. And once it's gone, so are we. You know, we don't have advertisers. If this is valuable enough for your time, you know, there's a, there's a number of you who have been helping out. And most of you are toting a few other lazy class members wait for them. Come on, guys. It's, it's a cup of coffee a month, $5. But if not, that's okay. I understand. You ain't got the money or you don't want to do it. That's cool. I don't want anybody doing anything they don't want to do. You have a free will exercise it. Other than that, everybody have a good, safe weekend. We love you. And we'll see you back here Monday. Manic Monday. Oh boy. I'm already gathering the headlines. It's going to be a good one. See you then. Charlie. Charlie's playing with me.